This is Laura, and today we're going to host a special on autism. In studio with me is Zephyr James with the Autism Society of Minnesota, which is hosting a special autistic community summit on September 17th. Zephyr James is an autistic adult and the community engagement manager at the Autism Society of Minnesota. With over seven years' experience in the autism field, they spend their time talking to autistic community members to create resources that meets the needs of the community where they are. James has completed the Partners in Policy Disability Advocacy Program and was a Minnesota-led fellow. Welcome to the studio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you too. And this is something that's just so near and dear in so many ways. So tell us a little bit about this um, uh, awesome event that's on September 17th, the Autistic Community Summit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to make a few little caveats before we get started here. First of all, I'm probably going to use the word awesome uh, to refer to the place where I work. That is our initials, A-U-S-M. So I may call it awesome if I forget to say Autism Society of Minnesota, and that's what I'm referring to. Um, And the second thing I want to mention is that I'm going to be using identity first language today. So you will probably hear me say autistic, autistic people, um, rather than saying a person with autism. And the reason that I'm doing that is because most of our adult autistic community members have let us know that that's their preference. So just a heads up at the beginning of this, that's how I'm going to be referring to folks. Um, so with that, I'm, I'm incredibly excited to share a little bit about our Autistic Community Summit, uh, which is coming up next weekend. Um, this is an event that we say is by autistics and for autistics. Um, it started about five years ago uh, after we had one of our big conferences. We have a yearly conference that is open to everyone in our community. And we had a really large group of autistic adults who showed up uh, that year and created just a a very cool space for themselves. They really connected with each other, they provided resources, and they really changed the vibe of what was happening at that event. And I looked at it and I said, I wish there was a space where we could all do that with each other that was just for us. There was a space where we could show up in all of our autistic glory with all the supports that we need, uh, with all of the things that we want to talk about. Um, And that's how the Autistic Community Summit came into being. I love that phrase, autistic glory. I do, I do. I like it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump ahead just because I, I love this. Um, one of the little keynote, uh, one of the um, s- s- things you have later on, it, it talks about people um, uh, and autism and the the disadvantages. And but what he said is that decades of deficit-based autism behavioral interventions and treatments. After decades of seeing this as some type of disability, eighty percent of adults with autism are unemployed or underemployed. Yeah, so that is a huge issue in our community and definitely something that we're always looking at. Um, I'm going to get kind of nerdy for a minute. I'm going to jump into some disability disability nerd stuff. Um, there currently are two main ways of thinking of disability. One of them is called the medical model, and that's where you think that disability exists in the person. There's something wrong with their body or their mind, and we need to come in and fix it or provide a tool or something that will allow that person to function the way everyone else does. The other one is what we call the social model of disability, which says that it's actually society that disables a person. It isn't the fact that I need to use a wheelchair. It's the fact that there aren't ramps. Um, It's the fact that things aren't accessible to me. And so we're really kind of leaning into that social model a little bit more with this event and saying there's nothing wrong with who we are. We can show up and love ourselves and love our quirks and love the way that we might stim, which is self-stimulating behavior. You might flap your hands or rock or any, anything like that. You know, um, We can appreciate the way that we 
communicate with each other, all of those things. And those are not inherently bad. Um, and when we're with people who understand that, when we're with our community and people who who are also the same way that we are, it's not disabling. We're actually quite successful when we work with each other. And and I think when we approve, when we, um, there's a, I worked on Paul Wellstone's first campaign and famous statement is, we all do better when we all do better. And when we have a culture that embraces each other as individuals, not as labels of whatever the individuals are, or when we liberate ourselves from these boxes, it really opens up a whole new spectrum of being. Yeah. Um, another another little nerd moment here. Uh, you've really you've really caught me as somebody who likes to to get into the sort of theory of disability. Um, there's something that we call the curb cut effect uh, in the disability world, and it refers to the fact that uh, it used to be that. There were no curb cuts. Curb cuts are the place on the sidewalk where it dips down into the street so mm-hmm. that um, if you have a wheelchair or a stroller or something like that, you can get down from the sidewalk into the street. And those didn't used to exist. Um, they came into being because disability advocates uh, pushed for it and said, we need this to be able to access our communities. And once they were installed, it turned out it made life better for everyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what mother in a stroller doesn't like those curb cuts? Yep. What person riding a bicycle does not like those curb cuts? Yep. It turns out a ton of people <laughs> use them. And so curb cut effect refers to the fact that a lot of the time when we put accommodations in place for disabled people, it's actually great for our larger community. So not only do we get this really beautiful blossoming of the people who the, the accommodations were made for, we get them really coming into their own and being able to contribute in all sorts of really cool ways. It's also just good for everyone, it turns out, uh, which I think is great. I, I think so, too. I, I just I love this and I love your energy. Um, so this Autistic Community Summit is on September 17th and um, is sold out. So the in-person event is sold out. We are doing this as a fully hybrid event. So we are live streaming all of the speakers. Um, and we do have a sort of social time towards the end of it, which I think we'll talk about more later. And we're also going to have a virtual option for that as well. Um, and that was a really important consideration for us because of accessibility. A lot of our folks um, maybe live further out in Minnesota and can't get to the venue or have difficulties with transportation or maybe have co-occurring disorders that make it really difficult for them to be in in public spaces. Um, So it was very important to us to say, we're going to meet you all where you are. Some of you really want to be in person and seeing your folks again and being face-to-face, and some of you don't feel comfortable with that yet, or maybe that's never going to be the way that you want to show up. So it was really important to us to have that virtual option. And we have, we can, anybody can come with this. Anybody no limit. can come yeah. and it's unlimited. Yep. And so if people, when people want to sign up for this virtual summit, um, how do they do that? Yes. Perfect question. Um, <laughs> you can visit our website at www.ausm.org. Uh, it should be right on the homepage and you can click on it right there and get registered or it's under our events section. Um, so it's super easy. Not only is everything live streamed, but we're also going to be recording and you'll have access to those recordings for um, a full month afterwards. So tons of time because there are so many cool things happening at this year's event. So the event is created by autistics for autistics. So how did this event come about in terms of planning strategy and execution? Yeah. Um, So starting last year, we actually started incorporating a committee of board members, staff members, and community members, all of whom are autistic, to help really direct and plan the event. Um, So this year, we kind of put it all in their hands. We said, 
what do you want? You know, our events team is here to help you make it happen, but you guys are the decision makers and you guys are the ones that need to tell us what works for you and, and for our community. And it has been so cool. Um, I am autistic, obviously. I think we mentioned that earlier. So I'm part of that committee and have been really involved in the process of kind of thinking about what kind of accommodations do we need, what's going to be the best way to approach things, um, what types of topics do we want at the event, things like that. But the committee has really come through. And one thing that I love about working with my fellow autistics is we are a detail-oriented people. <laughs> uh, they think about everything. There are accommodations that I never would have imagined uh, because someone said, hey, we're not thinking about the fact that we need to make sure all of our signs are high enough contrast for people with low vision. We need to think about um, sharing on our website that there is nowhere to buy snacks at the venue because there might be people who need to keep their blood sugar up throughout the day. So there is such care for every single person who's going to be attending that comes from having this group of other community members putting the event together. Um, you know, you use that word care because um, one of the myths of autism is that these people come in the world um, without compassion. So even there's this history of like autism was caused by refrigerator yeah. moms and without compassion. That's a myth. It's, uh, I, I honestly laugh at it. It's so funny to me. Most of the autistic people that I know are painfully empathetic. We feel empathy to an intense degree. Obviously, this is not true of all of us. Everything that I say is, <laughs> is going to be a bit of a generalization because there's wide, wide diversity in our community. So I don't want anyone to think, you know, when I say something, it applies to absolutely every single person. You met one person on the spectrum, you, you met, met one, one person. person. <laughs> yes. Um, but many of us have this really intense sense of empathy and justice and compassion and, and rightness. Many of us feel almost physically in pain when we encounter things that seem cruel or unfair. Um, we just don't necessarily express it the same way that other people do. We might not have a whole lot of facial expressions. We might have a slightly monotone voice. That doesn't mean we don't care. Um, so I think that's one really important thing to remember kind of across the board with autism is that our communication style is going to be different from what you might expect. Um, and, and so you need to Ask questions and not bring in assumptions about what different things mean. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to um, talk to the person doing a keynote address for the event. And I was reading just the reviews of his book book review. And his book, um, uh, Are, you Borg now? Are You Borg Now, was named a 2022 Minnesota Book Award finalist. And one of the um, – just reading the reviewers, I almost caught myself tearing. Um, one of the reviewers said it was speechless, awe-inspired, a book that was like that late-night conversation with your quiet friend lets you into this world and your world gets so much bigger, more humane, and precious. So we're going to take a break and we we'll come back. We're talking more about the um, Autistic Community Summit on uh, September 17th. So welcome back. This is Laura Hedlund. And on today's show, we're doing a special on the Autistic Community Summit, which is coming up on September 17th. And um, so joining us shortly will be the author of the book, Are You Borg Now?, which was named a 2022 Minnesota Book Award finalist in creative nonfiction and memoir. Um, and uh, before we get to that, um, uh, tell us a little bit um, uh, about why uh, why we are having this keynote uh, speaker. Yeah, so... Um 
we have had a keynote at every one of the autistic community summits. We like to have one thing that kind of brings everybody together so that we have something that we can all kind of uh, kick us off together. Um, and this year's speaker uh, is Saeed Shaye, um, and he kind of went a little bit locally famous uh, within the autism community uh, within the last year for an article that he wrote about um, the experience of being autistic and Somali and undiagnosed for a long time. Um, and it was, it resonated with a lot of people. Um, and it was also very important because we, we often find that the Somali community does not have the resources that they need when it comes to autism. So it was really important um, for our organizing committee to bring in somebody who could talk to a diverse range of folks um, and a diverse variety of communities. Um, and we also all just kind of fell in love with his writing a little bit, and we're really excited to hear him speak. Welcome. Well, and joining us now is um, Saeed uh, Chia. Um, welcome. Welcome to the special. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, well, I am Somali. I'm autistic. Uh, I grew up in Seattle, and I've lived in Minnesota for five or six years now, and I'm a writer. And I teach English at Century College currently. And you've contributed to essays, um, for instance, um, Muslim American Writers at Home, and We Are Meant to Rise, Voices for Justice from Minneapolis to This World. Um, so talk about that meant to rise and voice of justice. What does that mean? Um, well, you know, I am... I've never been a very confrontational person, um, so writing was one of the ways that I was able to use my voice, as it were, um, and I never think about the effect that my writing is going to have. I just try to be honest to what I believe in, uh, the things that are important to me, and I felt like contributing to that anthology was one of the ways that I could participate in the ongoing protest movement. Um, and you got some great response from your book. Yeah, people, um, people, people have enjoyed the book. Uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by that. Um, I, I initially wrote the book really to, to kind of survive a difficult time in my life. Um, it was a sort of escapism for me. And I didn't intend on publishing it when I first wrote it. It was really just, just trying to survive. And uh, one of the reviewers said um, that they loved the bare honesty from start to finish, the copy of the documents, all the photographs. It's truly wondrous how wondrous how someone can take you take a deeply painful personal history and write it in a way that makes you feel like you were there to witness us all from behind an administrator's desk, through the smoke, and everywhere else the book takes you. So um, there's some intense intimacy living in your book. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm an intensely intimate person, uh, even with strangers. Um, I've always been someone to tell complete strangers my life story at a bus stop, but you know, that's that's part of being autistic. We we just kind of have our heart on our sleeves. And you know, so at at the time that I was writing the book, I was I alluded to it, but I was I was in an MFA program and it was extremely difficult for me because I was being encouraged to write about trauma and to perform it as many minority people often are. Um and so I wanted to escape the trauma that I was facing by writing about the past. But because I went through a lot of childhood trauma, I can't look into the past without running into trauma. 
And so one of the ways that I got around it was by using as many different techniques as I could to try and diffuse the trauma um, through photography, through uh, administrators speaking about my experience in their own words, through my family talking about my experience, um, through a conversation. The main backbone of the book is a conversation that I was having with myself um, and my inner child to try and understand what we went through um, and making fun of it and, and, and kind of having some levity around it. Uh, just to process it all without being reconfronted by that trauma in a way that made me not be able to fulfill my obligations in the present. So you're going to be giving the keynote um, address at this event, which is on September, September 17th, and people can um, we'll have more details, but people can sign up to um, participate in the event virtually. But what do you hope to convey through your keynote address? I think um, I think I really want to talk about the difficulties of living with an undiagnosed disability, um, the power of self-compassion, realizing that we can't do this life thing on our own as much as we want to, um, and that we need a lot of help along the way. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the fact that patience and love are much greater motivators than shame, um, because a lot of my story is about using shame to motivate myself to accomplish things and seeing my self-worth in my accomplishments and realizing that that can really only lead to a place of being used up. And so what are all these accomplishments on your wall? What do they mean if you feel like you can't, you're a hollow husk of a shell of who you once were because of how hard you have to work for them. So just learning to go slow, accepting yourself, accepting your body and its limitations and having some self-compassion. So the title of your keynote address is the, Les- the Lessons I Wish I Had Known in College. So when you first went to college, you ended up dropping off and dropping out, and it was a horrible experience before you returned. So that's, you'll be sharing that story? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I'll be sharing that story um, growing up in Seattle. Um, you know, being a child of immigrants and an immigrant myself, being the oldest child, there was a lot of pressure on me to succeed and you know, the classic American dream that's sold to people when they're coming to this country is the way to succeed is through a college education. Um, I didn't realize the difficulties of, first of all, I didn't know that I was autistic. So I didn't realize that me having a hard time focusing in class, um, that might be because of the hundreds of people surrounding me in a, in a, in a university lecture hall, all the noise and overstimulation, not being able to focus on what was being said. Um, on top of that, I have ADHD, so being my brain being overstimulated and forcing myself to try to work through that, um, it really led to me just, just falling apart. And that led to depression, which also led to addiction, and that led to me dropping out. And then the shame started because all of a sudden you go from being the golden child to, you know, the dropout who's on his mom's couch at home as a grown man. And I just I felt really worthless, and I didn't know how it was going to go on. What do you hope that people who hear your keynote speak or speech or even hear you today, what do you hope they take away from your story and how you're sharing it? I hope that they know that you are you like you are enough. You you don't we're often told you need to make something of yourself. What are you doing just sitting around? Well, you're already something and a beautiful thing at that. And I don't think that we need to try and just the society that we live in often tells us, like, I don't feel good about telling people about my accomplishments and my degrees and whatever, 
because it doesn't reflect on who I am as a person um, as much as what I do for the people on my life. I feel like that's a greater indicator. And so I think the thing I want people to take away more than anything is that no matter where you are in your life, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. I did not know that I would be here. I did not know I would go from college dropout to college professor. There was 10 years of my life where the only focus was just staying alive and not overdosing, watching friends pass on and gun violence and whatnot in my community. And I just, I just don't want people to get caught in the trap of, I have to be like Saeed in order to be successful. I have to be like so-and-so. I have to live my life in that way in order to be accepted and loved. Like, no, just you being alive is enough of a miracle in and of itself. And I feel like that should be enough for people. Yeah, and we need places where we give each other that message that we are enough just being um, who we are at this moment. Well, I uh, really appreciate you um, being able to join us. And uh, if people want to listen to your keynote address, they can sign up for the virtual um, event um, on the Autistic Community Summit. Um, and we'll learn more about that summit coming up. So uh, thank you again, Saeed uh, Shia, um, author of Are You Borgnog? Are You Borg Now? which was named a 2022 Minnesota Book Finalist. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Take care. Welcome back. This is Laura Headland, and on today's show, we're hosting a special on autism. In studio with me is Zephyr James with the Autism Society of Minnesota, which is hosting a special autistic community summit on September 17th. And we just heard a wonderful um, interview. I, I found that so um, impactful um, about the keynote speaker that you're having. Yeah, it. Uh, you know you've chosen the right speaker when they say something and you think to yourself, well, that's what I needed to hear. <laughs> uh, you have to kind of take a moment. You're like, oh, I need to take a knee here. That was a lot for me. Uh, Without yeah. a doubt. And in the first section, you talked about the curb cut effect. It's like, okay, uh, the cuts, the curbs were cut and all of a sudden people on bikes and on strollers um, were benefited. So we had, and, and uh, when he was talking and he said, you learn so much more through uh, the power of love and acceptance than you do through shame. Yeah. And I, not only is that sort of a beautiful poetic thing to say, it's also something that we just know from evidence, right? Like a lot of people, a lot of um, maybe sort of older school people grew up with this uh, approach that is, you know, just try harder, uh, you know, you just discipline your kids or, or whatever it might be that, you know, if somebody is motivated the right way and that might be shame, that they're going to do what they need to do. And we've actually learned that shame is a kind of emotion that really shuts you down, um, that that really negative motivators help people to uh, avoid doing what's wrong instead of finding what's right. And so bringing in that, that love and the compassion and sort of how do we help you find what is going to be the good path for you – is a much more powerful motivator for a lot of people. Yeah, and so, um, so this why is it why is it important for the autistic community to have events like the autistic autistic uh, community summit? Yeah, um, it's very rare that we get to be ourselves without having to watch what we're saying and watch how we're behaving. Um, there is something in the autism community that's called masking which is when you work to appear more neurotypical or appear less autistic. So you might, um, if you have trouble with eye contact, you might teach yourself that if you look just above somebody's <laughs> eyes, you can kind of fake it and they'll think that you're making eye contact. Or you might teach yourself scripts so that you can follow sort of normal patterns of conversation that other people have. 
Um, and most of us are masking most of the time. And it is exhausting. And there's a lot of good evidence that it is really bad for us, that it leads to depression and anxiety and just really bad outcomes in our lives. I know, as Saeed was talking about, that he spent 10 years just trying to survive. And I I know that feeling. I've done that too. Most of us have of how do I contort myself into working in this world that isn't made for me? Um, and the summit is a place where I hope we don't have to do that, where we can show up however we are, whoever we are, and be comfortable. And that's the biggest piece for me. But the other piece that's really important for me is that the summit is a place where we're the experts in our own lives. A lot of people come in as experts and tell us what we should or shouldn't do and how we can uh, do better in our lives or make changes. There's all kinds of people that we go and see for treatments and therapies, whether it is, um, you know, occupational therapy or speech therapy or behavioral therapy or whatever it might be. We spend a lot of time being medicalized. Um, but the people who live every day trying to troubleshoot the problems that we have are autistics. And so we have just so much more experience than anyone else. And we are incredibly creative at coming up with solutions to our problems. So it is incredibly important to me to say, you are wise enough to talk about your own life. You, we respect you enough to say that you are an expert and we want to put you on the stage and listen to what you have to say instead of telling you to shut up and listen to somebody else who knows better than you about your own life and your own stuff. Um, <laughs> so do people ever get that message that they're not the expert in their own lives and that they're really supposed to be someone that they're not? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, it, it depends on the person, obviously, um, but I have spoken to people who have gotten that message from family members, who have gotten that message from employers, teachers, professionals, um, you know, saying the way you're doing that is wrong and you need to do it my way. Um, you need to change the way that you act or what feels natural to you. Um, and more often than not, that comes from a place of care. More often than not, it's people who want to protect the autistic person, who are scared about what's going to happen to them if they go out into the world looking and acting autistic. And I, I want to recognize that fear. I want to recognize that that's a real thing, um, but that acting out of that fear can be really damaging for, for the autistic community. So, um, so neurodivergent, what does that word mean, neurodivergent? Yeah, so neurodiversity, uh, which is where it comes from, is... Uh, it, it means that as humans, we have a variety of different brains that understand and process in a, a bunch of different ways. Um, and neurodivergent refers to a person whose brain kind of works outside of the ordinary. Um, it would be in contrast to what we call neurotypical, which is somebody whose brain works more or less the way that society is set up. So somebody who can get by in society without really having to struggle to make their brain work in a different way. Usually, we would say that neurodivergent includes autistics, people with ADHD, um, people with mental health issues, people with PTSD, um, some learning disabilities. So anyone whose brain is just, it just works a little bit differently. And so um, with this event, all speakers are neurodiverse. Um, why is that important? Yeah, so it, that really goes back to that being experts in our own lives thing to me. Um, the speakers at an event like this are the people who are being placed as the authorities. 
they're the ones that you come to listen to, the ones who get the microphone for most of the event. And putting that microphone in the hands of community members uh, changes the dynamic pretty impactfully um, in a way that says you're important and what you have to say is important. We all do better when we all do better. Um, so over the – what have you heard from past attendees? Because this has been going for five years. Five what years, have, yeah. What have people said in the past? Um, I love my community so much. Uh, autistic people are not afraid to tell you when they want things to change, which is something that I appreciate in many ways. So one of the things that I really appreciate about that is that we've been – every single year we've done this event, we've made changes and made it better, which I think is so cool that my community can show up, like it, tell me what they want different, and then show up again the next year. Um, but I also often hear that people feel like they can take a breath and they haven't been able to do that that this is a space where they can let go of some of the tension. Um, I've heard some people who just loved hearing from other folks like them. Our keynote last year spoke about masking and, and how to unmask. And so many people said that they felt seen and recognized in that. And they loved having the experience of, oh, my God, you get me. That's my life. Um, so those moments of recognizing each other, of seeing yourself in other people is very important and is not something that we always get. No, because, I mean, why is that something that you don't always get, do you think? I mean, because when you're neurodiverse, it's not like a one-size-fits-all and kind of the culture is this is, you know, it has almost a one-size-fits-all um, lens. Yeah. I mean, the most obvious reason we don't get that very often is that our brains work differently from the vast majority of people. So oftentimes, if a neurotypical person is talking about their experience, uh, I'm sitting there going, what on earth are you talking about? I've never had that experience <laughs> in my life. Huh? Uh, you felt good about yourself? I don't understand. <laughs> um, so first we have to find other people who maybe function the way that we do, who think the way that we do. But in addition to that, the, as, we, as I mentioned before, there's a huge amount of diversity within the autism community. And so you might hear one autistic speaker at an event, maybe two. It's really common for conferences put on by autistic organiza or autism organizations to not have very many autistic speakers there. So you might hear one story or one viewpoint, and maybe it doesn't totally resonate with you. But we have 13, 14, 15 autistic speakers here sharing all different viewpoints, sharing all different kinds of stories. And so you're much more likely to resonate with at least one of them. And then there's all of the other participants that you can talk to and connect with and socialize with. And that's more people that you can resonate with. And maybe you pick up a little bit of this person's story and you say, oh, yeah, that's how I experienced school. And then you hear this other person's story and you think, oh, yeah, that's how I experienced trauma. And so you just get m more representation. It's sort of the way that when there's only one character uh, who is black on a TV show, they have to represent the entirety <laughs> of the black experience, which is impossible. Uh, that's kind of a similar thing to what we have to go through is we only get one representation sometimes. And when we have more, we just get more more ways to resonate. So this um, community Autistic Community Summit has been going for five years. Where do you think it's going to go in the future? Oh, gosh. I have dreams. Um, I... I this year feels really big for me. Um, our committee has been really involved this year. We've had so many people excited and interested about it. We sold out really early this year, which was very exciting. So I see it getting bigger. Um, I see us having more speakers and more attendees. I see us 
really becoming a model for how you can host an event in a way that is friendly to neurodivergent people. Um, one of our committee members told me that I should do a TED talk about supporting autistic speakers and autistic panel members um, because we've done a ton of work behind the scenes to figure out how do we make all of the the expectations really, really clear for our folks. Um, if we're hosting a panel, how much do we need to practice in advance and how many do we need to send out the questions in advance and how much do we need to talk to each person to make sure that they feel comfortable? Um, and are we checking in with everyone about the accommodations that we need? So we have all of these checklists and resources that could be super helpful to other people. Um, so I really hope that this becomes kind of a role model event for other spaces to say, we've done the hard work of trying to figure out how do you make a more inclusive event and not just for attendees, but for everyone involved, the volunteers, the speakers, the staff, and here are our resources and you all can do it too. So there is an unlimited supply to participate virtually. So tell us about how, if someone wants to participate on September 17th, virtually how they go about doing that and what happens. Absolutely. So you can register at www.ausm.org. Awesome. That is our website. A-U-S-M. Yep. Awesome. Uh, We say it all the time. We irritate ourselves. Um, (laughs) And it should be right on the front page or under the events section. You can register. It is $35. it is important to us to keep that cost pretty low to make sure that our community can access the event. So um, we we are really happy that we can keep it at a low cost. Um, and then on the day, um, all of our sessions are going to be live streamed. So you will be able to click on a Zoom link, watch our keynote, watch our breakout sessions, and then also participate in the social options that we have at the end of the day. In addition to that, we are recording everything, so it will also be up for watching later on our website for a full month. So you will get a ton of content um, and be able to watch it at your leisure if you cannot handle eight hours straight of sitting and listening to people, which I know I can't. I prefer (laughs) to spread it out a little bit. So outside of this event and initiative, what else does the Autism Society of Minnesota do to support our autistic community? Yeah, yeah. it always makes me laugh when I have to give the elevator pitch for our organization because we do everything. So we do events, we do education, we do trainings, we do therapy, we do advocacy, all kinds of stuff. And you can find it all on our website, www.ausm.org. Or awesome. Just think awesome. So awesome. We're doing a special on autism today. Um, and thank you for listening. Hi, this is Laura Hedlund, and on today's show, we're hosting a special about the Autism Community Summit, and in studio with me is Zephyr James James with the Autism Society of Minnesota. And so this event is September 17th. People can register for the virtual event, but you are sold out in person. So again, remind people how they sign up. Yeah, so www.ausm.org, awesome.org as we call it, uh, right there on the homepage. Um, and if you want to keep up to date with us uh, about future events and things, you can always check out that website or sign up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. We would we would love to have you. That's great. So, what are what are the outcomes you hope for this um, conference? Yeah, um, one of the big things that we think about as we're putting together our schedule is that different presentations have something that you can use today when you walk home, when you when you walk away, when you go home. Um, 
that there's something that you can think about or do in your day-to-day life uh, that will make things easier or better for you. So um, a bunch of our our topics um, are going to have accommodations or tools that our participants can go ahead and use for themselves, whether that's sensory things or executive function supports um, or tools that they can use in their workplace. Um, but one of the one of the big things is that this is a place where we can sort of swap our wisdom and say, oh, this works for me, what works for you? And so I'm really hoping that people can, can walk out and say, I have something I can work with. Um, another big part of that is I... I love the connections that get formed at this event. Um, We don't have a ton of community spaces where we can hang out with each other. And so having a space where you can meet other people who are like you and make new friends or, um, you know, find out about a support group and maybe look at joining that. But have something that you can do afterwards that allows you to follow up with these people and stay in contact with people that that you're excited to hang out with. Um, so those are two of the big things. Uh, there's another thing that I'm really excited about that is new this year. Um, at the end of the day, we're offering three different options for people to kind of socialize or connect with each other a little bit more. So not just listening to somebody else talk, but getting a little more involved. And one of them is what we're calling support swapping. So it's going to be kind of an interactive group work to put together a resource. Um, and for this year, we're, we're, choosing to focus on spaces that are autistic-friendly and how they are autistic-friendly and what things other spaces can do to become autistic-friendly. So we're going to ask people who are interested to join us. We'll brainstorm places that we know of. We'll brainstorm those other ideas, and we'll put together a resource that we'll share to all of the participants afterwards and also post on our website. So I think it's really cool that we're going to be tapping into the wisdom of our community here and creating an actual piece that we can share when we're done. Um, I listened to a great interview with you in Phillips King Lowell, um, and he has the podcast Today's Autistic Moment. And he talked about this in terms of autistics collaborating with autistics. So that's exactly what you're t- doing in this section, right? You're yep. collaborating to this is where, how, how do we make places friendly, autistic friendly? Yes, uh, that's exactly what we're doing. So um, in terms of what does make places autistic friendly, uh, you'll have to check back on our website for the resource after the summit. Uh, But I do have some thoughts. Um, So there are sort of a few big areas that I would focus on. Uh, One is options, one is sensory things, and one is communication. So just run through those. So... um, Folks with autism are very diverse. Uh, It's not going to be one size fits all for what makes a space autistic friendly. But offering a lot of different choices can be really helpful. Saying you don't have to participate in a specific way um, can make a place feel much more comfortable. So, for example, when I go to a conference and they say, we're going to do a think-pair-share. So you have to think for yourself what you want to answer to this question and then talk to the person next to you and then share out in the group. I'm like, I want to die. Uh, This (laughs) is not how I prefer to participate. I would like a different option, please. (laughs) So offering another way to do that, maybe you get to write down your thoughts instead of talking to another person. Um, Maybe there's a live tweet wall and you can tweet your answer out with the hashtag, something like that. So that's one thing with neurotypical culture. We think everyone loves happy hour and everyone wants to share your opinion. And there's just this one way of doing things. And it's that doesn't really fit for all people. Again, it's almost like what you call the, the curb cut. Yes, exactly. Uh, I know 
a good number of neurotypical folks who also don't appreciate those types of exercises or icebreakers or whatever it might be and are very happy when they get a chance to participate in a different way. Um, I would also call out sensory needs. So an element of autism that is maybe not as commonly known is the fact that most autistics have um, some challenges with sensory processing. So we're either really oversensitive or very undersensitive to a variety of different sensory inputs. Um, and that can be different across different senses. So maybe you're very sensitive to light, but you're very undersensitive to sound. It'll be different for each person. Um, but keeping that in mind when you're building your space is really important. Uh, limiting the number of really intense sensory inputs can make it feel much more comfortable for autistic folks. Uh, not using fluorescent overhead lights, uh, not having very sudden loud noises, things like that, um, or offering a space where people can go and decompress that is sort of a little bit more sensory friendly um, is a great option for creating an autistic friendly space. The last thing I would talk about is communication. Um, a lot of autistic folks like to know what to expect. Uh, we don't like going in blind. Um, and so being really clear about everything that's going to happen makes us feel a lot more comfortable. So being really clear about where do you check in when you are arriving at this event? Um, how long is it going to take? Sharing pictures of the venue so that people can get an idea of what it's going to be like for them. Um, as much information as you can share is generally going to be really helpful, especially when you're sharing information about what is going to be expected of the participant? You know, are you going to be expected to share back during one of the sessions, or are you going to be expected to listen quietly for an hour? Um, and I think, I mean, uh, I think also just being more open. You know, yes. not like, oh, that person's being rude, or that person's being this, or that person's being this. You know, that just kind of allowing people to be who they are and assuming. Um, Good intent. Yes, yes. I wrote down welcoming as my as my word for that. Um, and I, I think that kind of ties into offering options to me, not just offering options, but accepting the different options and choices that people make. Um, at our conference, some of our autistic attendees started just sitting in the back on the floor during sessions. And that was not something that we had sort of offered out there for them, but they started doing it because that worked for them and their bodies and how they were going to hang out. And we looked at that and said, great, maybe next year we'll make that official because that's something that people want to be able to do. So instead of saying that's not how you sit at this conference, you have to be professional, um, just accepting the choices that people make as long as they're not hurting anyone. So Zephyr James with the Autism Society of Minnesota, you are an autistic adult and the community education manager. And we're almost, we're almost out of time. Gosh. Any last thoughts? I mean, such a fun conversation today. I it really is. enjoyed your time. and uh, I'm just – I really hope that some folks will tune in. Um, in general, this Autistic Community Summit is aimed at autistic participants, but especially on the virtual side, we do welcome all kinds of folks to see this really cool community doing really cool things. So please join us. Cool community doing cool things. I mean, it's neurodivergent diversity. It's cool. It's Who doesn't want it? Yes, and that's the way nature works, too. You know, yeah. nature thrives in diverse systems. So maybe we're all just meant to be the way we are. Sounds right to me. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, Zephyr James. Whoa.